Thanks for tuning in to MANA, a short daily meditation to feed hungry souls with God's Word. These episodes were prepared by ordained ministers for a radio broadcast called Voice of the Church and are now republished by the Reformed Perspective Foundation, a Canadian charity that applies biblical truth to the issues of our time. Here's today's serving. Hello, friends, and welcome back to our brief study on the relationship of the Christian to the governing authorities around us. Last time when we were uh, in the Word together, we took a a quick study of Genesis 1, verse 28. Uh, This time we're going to uh, do something a little bit different. We're going to take a quick tour of the entire Old Testament. Well, not quite. Let me read with you first from Deuteronomy 17, where we find these words in verses 14 and following. When you enter the land the Lord your God is giving you, and have taken possession of it and settled in it. And you say, let us set a king over us like all the nations around us. Be sure to appoint over you the king the Lord your God chooses. He must be from among your own brothers. Do not place a foreigner over you, one who is not a brother Israelite. The king, moreover, must not acquire great numbers of horses for himself or make the people return to Egypt to get more of them. For the Lord has told you, you are not to go back that way again. He must not take many wives, or his heart will be led astray. He must not accumulate large amounts of silver and gold. When he takes the throne of his kingdom, he is to write for himself on a scroll a copy of this law, taken from that of the priests, who are Levites. It is to be with him, and he is to read it all the days of his life, so that he may learn to revere the Lord his God, and follow carefully all the words of this law, and these decrees, and not consider himself better than his brothers, and turn from the law to the right or to the left. And he and his descendants will reign a long time over his kingdom in Israel. We're going to take a moment to reflect on something of what this means, and and indeed what the Old Testament teaches us about the civil government, even though doing that can be a bit of a sticky wicket. It's a simple enough study to make. There are plenty of examples, like the one we just read from Deuteronomy 17 in the books of Exodus and in other places in Deuteronomy. Passages we can reflect on relating to every strata of Israelite society. We can read, as we've just done, about the king who was to rule. We can read about what his task was to be and how he was to be distinguished from all the kings around. We can talk about the role of men like Jethro, the father-in-law of Moses, and of Solomon, the wisest of all kings, and how they also helped impact and shape civil government within the Old Testament nation of Israel. There's much to study in the Old Testament about how the nation of Israel was to be governed. What is difficult, however, is figuring out what it means for us today. There are some within the Christian community who argue that the Old Testament principles should be applied rather directly in the modern nation-state. What was illegal in the Old Testament should be illegal today, and what was punished then should be punished today with the same sort of severity. There are, of course, others that believe the Old Testament has very little to say about the New Testament circumstance, the relationship of the Christian to the state in the days of Jesus Christ's reign and rule. 
It is valuable to read the Old Testament, and there are certainly a few good lessons to learn along the way. But these argue that there's nothing that really applies to today's world. After all, we are not under law, but under grace. And these opposite understandings of the Old Testament can leave us scratching our heads. Is the Old Testament just an interesting museum we visit now and again to see how people did things way back when? Or would our country be a better place if we insisted that the Old Testament civil code formed the backbone of laws today? These are challenging questions, and to some degree beyond the scope of what we can accomplish in the few minutes we have together. But what we can do is appreciate one particular aspect of the Old Testament civil code, an aspect that helps us understand the role of governments and our relationship to them today. Let's leave off for a moment the question of how the civil code of the Old Testament should be applied today and notice in a more general way what the civil code deals with. As obvious as it may seem to us, the laws of the Old Testament deal predominantly with crime and punishment. Remember what we said last time, that there is an organizing and directing element to the government's authority. When we read the Old Testament laws, we read something of this, but we also read about who can marry after divorce and what payment is required if your ox kills someone. And we read about how slaves were to be treated. Sometimes the strange specificity of a law makes you wonder what the people of Israel were doing back in that day. Whatever the case, we discover when we take a broad view of the Old Testament civil code that the government had to deal with a lot of problems. Even that famous story of the first decision made by King Solomon, the one about cutting a baby in half, you can read about that in 1 Kings 3, is not just a little gruesome. But that's what the government had to deal with on a daily basis. Oh, not disputes about who is the mother of a baby, but about rebellion and murder and rape and all manner of wickedness. Whatever the role of government was before the fall into sin, after the fall into sin, much of the government's role involves restraining wickedness and punishing wrongdoers. And thankfully so. Now, we need to remember what we mentioned last time. It is the ministry of the church that changes hearts from hard to soft, from lovers of disobedience to lovers of obedience. But that doesn't mean the governments of our world can just let wickedness run rampant. People do need to be protected, and obedience to the law needs to be cultivated within our society. And while the home is involved in that, as are schools and even churches, it is the government that needs to exercise its God-given authority in the restraining of wickedness and in the promotion of peace. In the words of the Belgic Confession, a confessional statement from the days of the Reformation in the 16th century, God wants the world to be governed by laws and policies so that human lawlessness may be restrained and that everything may be conducted in good order among human beings. For that purpose he has placed the sword in the hands of the government to punish evil people and protect the good. That's the close of the quote. Now, there's a lot more that needs to be said to flesh out this basic perspective on the role of government in a post-fall world. 
but it at least begins to give us an idea of what we should expect and what we should promote within the realm of civil government today. Without getting wrapped up in the question of how the Old Testament laws should be or even ought to be applied today, and there are some good books written about the principles that we can discern in the Old Testament law that would serve our world well. There are many who have done thorough explanations of this and have shown that if we were to adhere to at least the principles that are laid down in the Old Testament law code, our society would be a more just and equitable place. But for all of that, we can at least recognize this. If the people of God in the Old Testament needed a government that restrained wickedness and promoted peace, then so do we. And while our governments have a natural tendency to take to themselves more and more authority and to do more and more things, we do well as citizens of our country to insist that they fulfill this biblical expectation to restrain wickedness and promote peace, and that they do it well. Now, of course, to do this well, a standard of right and wrong will need to be established. What is wicked and what is good? Those are challenging questions. As believers, we certainly have a framework and a foundation from which to answer those questions. How might we apply those answers in the realm of the civil government? That's a topic we don't have enough time to discuss. What we can say, however, is that getting involved in the arena of politics, by interacting with our politicians, by asking tough questions, by writing letters, and even by running for office, is a good and noble work, one that serves our fellow men when it's done well. But more than that, that our expectation for the governments that rule over us ought to be consistent with the Word of God and its will for those governments in our lives. What we discover when we study the Old Testament is that the Word and will of God desires that government promote peace, that government deal with questions of justice, indeed that governments focus their attention on that matter within society, that our governments not be so concerned with the incidental, the lesser significant issues of this life, but that they focus on the question of justice, on the question of what is right and what is wrong, and how our fellow citizens, indeed all of the citizens of our country, can be dealt with fairly and with great equity. We see more and more what the result is of the governments of our day becoming focused on things other than the biblical mandated things of justice. And we see how upsetting it is and how controversial it is within our society. How there is so much upset, there is so much unrest, so much violence. We need our governments to return to the priorities laid down for them by God. And as those who serve and live in the communities that we do, we have an opportunity to help the government do that by holding them to an account and by challenging those in authority over us to fulfill the task that God has given them that they should be busy restraining wickedness and promoting peace. Thank you for your time, friends, and have a blessed day.